Well, hey, Victory, I am so excited to bring this message to you today. And this is a message that's been stirring in my heart for the last few weeks. It's a message called Rise Up. In the Bible, we see that God instructs people to remember and recall the words that have been spoken, to go back over messages that they've heard from prophets, the apostles, from Moses to Joshua, from Jesus to his disciples, from Paul to the churches, from Peter to the churches. And it's important for us to, as a church, remember what we've heard. And so this message is actually gonna be a combination of speakers that have come and spoken a word of God into our church in the last year and words that we feel like are so connected with this theme of rising up. And you might be asking, uh, what do you mean to rise up? Rise up out of what? Rise up from fear into faith. Rise up out of debt into financial freedom. Rise up out of sin and into righteousness. Rise up out of worry and into hope. Rise up out of depression and into joy. What we're gonna do today is we're gonna go back into some messages we've heard this year. Go back over some of those notes and get our faith built back up. Remind ourselves what we heard. And I, I promise you, you're probably gonna hear some stuff today. Even if you heard this sermon six months ago, you're gonna hear some stuff today that you didn't even hear when you were listening to it the first time. And this is the power of repetition. You know, Paul says in Philippians chapter four, verse nine, he says, instead of waiting for a new message, I want you to put into practice the messages you've already heard. I want you to recall the words I've already spoken to you and start applying those words. Peter said in 2 Peter three, don't forget what the apostles taught you. Don't forget what the prophets have spoken. Maybe you've been going to victory uh, for 20 years. Today, God wants to speak something fresh to you. So lean in, get your notepad out, get your pen, get ready to hear from God as we go back over these last 12 months, some messages that have been spoken to us to rise up. Let's go for it. Hear me, Victory. There is a place that is uncomfortable, that is frustrating, that is exasperating, but it is often the place that God reveals who he is to us. And that place is this. Whenever your experience doesn't line up with your expectation, God is trying to give you a revelation of who he is. Ooh, that was so nice, I'm gonna say it twice. Whenever your experience doesn't line up with your expectation, God is trying to give you a revelation of who he is. Because rarely is Jesus recognized. He is more often revealed. And he reveals himself at the place where our experiences don't line up with what we expected. Come on, have you ever been there before where your experience didn't line up with your expectation, but you look back in hindsight to see that was a blessing, that that was God's hand working in that? Come on, it was good that that door wasn't open. Come on, it was good that that person walked away because God was revealing who he was to you in the midst of that situation. Uh, you remember John chapter 11? John chapter 11, we're introduced to this family, Mary and Martha. Remember Mary and Martha. Remember their brother Lazarus just out of the blue gets sick. He just starts coughing. <coughs> I think I got the black lung. He just starts coughing. And, uh, <laughs> and they don't trip at first. They don't trip at first because it's not that bad. But all of a sudden it gets worse and worse and worse it's to the point that Lazarus can't even get out of the bed. And, and Martha, she's a little composed, but Mary is freaking out. She's like, Martha's like, girl, stop that crying, okay? Stop that crying, okay? Let me ask you something. When Jesus comes into town, whose house does he stay at? Oh, he stays at our house. 
house? Girl, that means this whole house is covered with the presence of the Lord. It's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. As a matter of fact, get my cell phone. Get my cell phone. Come on, y'all know this Bible story. Takes her cell phone, sends a text message to Jesus, says, Jesus, the one you love, doesn't even say his name. He knows what I'm talking about. The one you love is sick. You, Jesus, do what you do. Send. Jesus is on the other side of town preaching the gospel. As he's preaching the gospel, cell phone text message noise goes off. Ding, ding. He's like, what I tell y'all about cell phones while I'm preaching? <laughs> Disciples are like, Jesus, that's you. He's like, oh, my bad. Pulls out his cell phone, sees the text message from Martha, reads it and says, huh, the one you love is sick. You, Jesus, do what you do. He immediately responds. He says, do not worry. This cyclone, this sickness, predictive text will mess you up, won't it? <laughs> this sickness will not end in death. Sends it back to Martha. Martha gets the text. Oh, girl, look who just texted me. Jesus. Look at what he said. He said, this sickness will not end in death. I told you, he's an on time God. Yes, he is. I mean, they start having church. Come on, y'all know this story. The funny part for me right there is watching y'all's faces, okay? Some of y'all were literally looking at me like, I ain't never read this version before in my life. Let me help you tonight. Let me help you, okay? I think I said this before. That's the NIV, okay? Negro International Version. That is a different, it's a different translation, okay? They start shouting. They start dancing off of a text message. But don't miss this. Right after they finish dancing, Lazarus dies. <laughs> and Jesus has the nerve, audacity, and unmitigated gall to not come to the funeral, the graveside service. He walks in four days late, cool, calm, and collected. Talking about how y'all doing? Y'all good? Y'all good? Y'all good? They were like, no, he did it. They were like, Jesus, I will cut you. Oh, they were so mad. Read it. They said, Jesus! You would have been here. Our brother wouldn't have died. Their experience didn't line up with their expectation. They were expecting Jesus to come as soon as he, they sent word. And he didn't. He waited till Lazarus was dead. And four days dead. And right when their experience didn't line up with their expectation, he walks right to that graveyard where they laid him down, preaches a three-point sermon, and says, Lazarus, come forth. And thank God it was a three-point sermon that day. Because y'all know his word is so powerful. If he would have gone to that graveyard and just said, come forth, every dead person in there would have been like, hold on, he's talking about me. And it would have been another thriller video. But I want to thank God he can get the right word to the right person at the right time. Come on, somebody. So that dead thing in your life can come back to life again? Oh, come on, somebody give God some praise. If you believe that that thing that looks like it's dead is coming back to life. Hallelujah. David Livingstone went to Africa from England or Scotland and was the first European to map much of the interior of Africa. He lived in Africa in a very primitive time. A time when he slept on the ground many times, uh, had a hard time finding enough to eat. But his ground-breaking work would pave the way for the gospel that's going forth in Africa today. In fact, Reinhard Bonnke and his great crusades that when millions of people would say to you that much of the 
fruit now that is going on in Africa came because of the bloodshed and the suffering of people like David Livingstone long ago. He traveled during very dangerous and difficult times. He was mauled by a lion. He contracted malaria several times. He was plagued by parasites and significant physical ailments. He was in danger consistently from the settlers in the region and the tribes on the continent. He lost a child and a wife on the mission field. He also ultimately died on his knees praying for Africa where they cut his heart out, buried his heart in Africa, and sent his body back to England. But David Livingston, despite all of this, walking around with a mauled shoulder that had crippled him, with the malaria virus still in his body, would say the following, I am immortal till my work is accomplished. I am immortal till my work is accomplished. I believe this with all of my heart. Listen to what Paul says. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Listen, I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger among false believers or brethren. Paul was beaten, stoned, left for dead. When he got to Jerusalem toward the end of his ministry, he had 40 Jewish leaders who said they were going to fast until they killed Paul. Uh, they may have starved to death because they never got to him, amen. Why? Why could they not kill him? Why could the shipwreck not take him under? Why could the snake bite not destroy him? Why? Because it wasn't his time yet. It wasn't his time yet. His time was in God's hands, and God was his shield in the midst of it all. Now I want to say to you this morning, whether you've gotten a diagnosis from the C word, cancer, or you're afraid of the T word, terrorism, or somebody has mentioned the Z word, Zika, you can go through the whole alphabet and have something to be afraid of in our generation. You need to wake up every morning and say, I claim the promise of Abraham, the Lord is my shield. I just want to tell believers sometimes, you're not losing, you're not losing, don't act like it. Like, don't act like you're losing. Just because a situation happens in your life that's tough, don't, you're not losing. When I was uh, a few years ago, I'm 40, so when I was 32, I think, these guys invited me to come play on a 35 and older men's league, city, city league, basketball. So I'm like, all right. So I go out and play with these guys, and they let one young guy come on. So I'm 32, I'm playing on these guys. And, and you know, I, you know, this is basketball. And, and, and this one game, we're beating this team in the first half by like 20. And I like go to the middle, and I kind of float this little ball up. I float this basketball up. And uh, this kind of short, stocky guy comes up and just swats it. I mean, like hard. Like, and it, and it's like a wall. It hits the wall. He's like, boom, he swats this ball. And when he does, he yells, get that out of here. I just stopped and go, okay, hold on a second. You can't yell, get that out of here when you're losing by 20. <laughs> We're like, running out. I'm like, look at the scoreboard. You're losing by 20. You can't yell, get that out of here. We're just chatting the whole way down the court. He's like, well, a swat's a swat. And I'm like, dude, you're, why are you keeping stats? You're losing by 20. <laughs> Honestly, I, I, I'm just, I, I know it's a silly illustration, but this, I, I just want to get with believers and go, hey, listen, I know that situation just happened, 
But if you'll live thankful, if you'll cultivate a life of thankfulness, you know what thankfulness does? It just kind of goes, hey, look at the scoreboard. Like, look at the scoreboard. I'm not losing. I'm not losing. And not just because I go to heaven one day, I'm not losing right now. Do you know all that God's done in my life? Do you know all that God's done in my life? Do you know how much I have to be grateful for? Look at the scoreboard. Listen to me. I don't care if you feel like it doesn't matter if one situation happens. You're not losing. Man, I'll never forget what God did that night when Banning spoke. At the very end of that service, the altar was packed. So many people coming down to that altar, realizing that God is for them that the scoreboard shows they are not losing and they are not gonna end this life uh, in defeat, that God's already won the victory. I love what Banning said, that gratitude reminds us what the scoreboard says. No matter what's going on in your life, you have a reason to be thankful. If you have Jesus Christ, you have a reason to celebrate, to worship, to give God praise. And when you have that attitude of gratitude, it gives you a sense of perseverance, that no matter what you face, you're gonna make it because God's already won the victory for you. You are not defeated. You are not losing this game. You're gonna come out of this. What a great word for our church. One of the words that really got me excited was Dr. Bill Winston from Chicago, Illinois, and he talked about the blessing. And Dr. Bill Winston, man, he brought the word to our church. If you missed it, you're in for a treat right now. We've taken a, a small part of what he shared to our church, that things can be vastly different in your life if you will believe in God, God can change things instantly. Let's go right into this message from Dr. Bill Winston. But I don't want you to forget this message that you're getting tonight because guaranteed is going to make a difference in your life. I would want to say to you tonight, if you get this message, your life by Christmas will be drastically different than it is right now. Here is Jesus, he's in the middle of nowhere, and the disciples said, let them go now. Hey, they need to go get something to eat. Jesus said, you feed them. They look at Jesus. Now they're trying to figure out, toiling now, trying to figure out, what is he talking about? We, and and there's, what I'm saying, there's a lad here, he's got two fish and five barley loaves of bread, but well, what is that among so many? Jesus said, that's enough. Two fish and five loaves were given by the little boy. Now I want you to see something. God has dealt to every man, man or woman, the measure of faith. Not a measure. Because A means he gave you a little bit and me a little bit more and him a little bit more. No, no, no. He gave every one of us the same measure. Now, how does it increase? You have to work it. By hearing the word of God, watch this, and doing what it says. Are you following the thing? Now, you do start off small, but faith is supposed to grow. Now, here's the little boy. He steps up. I can see him now pulling on the disciples' robe. Hey, I got two fish here. Why? Because he heard the message. Whose faith? Glory to God. Jesus wanted somebody's faith. Whose faith did he use? Come on, help me now. Little boys. Now, wait a minute now. Faith connects you with the ability 
of God. Watch this. Whether you're eight years old or 80. Now, I'm saying that because a lot of times we tell the kids, go on out and play. Go on out and play. You better come on in and help me believe God for this mortgage money. Praise God. <laughs> Why? Because they got the same faith you do. You're watching the last days. Kids going to be laying hands on the sick like water. And they're going to be getting healed all over the place, man. Why? It's not the person. It's faith in God that makes it happen. What a great message. You know, one of my favorite messages that's been preached this year comes from the most beautiful girl in the world, in my opinion, Ashley Hope Doherty, my wife. And Ashley preached a message to our church uh, just here recently on a Wednesday night called Just Do It. Just say those words with me. Just do it. You guys sound beautiful. Ashley was talking about there's things that God has called us to do that we keep on procrastinating. We keep on making excuses. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm unqualified. I haven't graduated school yet. I haven't done enough good things. I've made too many mistakes. And Ashley just challenged everyone in our church that it's time to put the excuses to the side, stop procrastinating, stop limiting what God can do through you because of your past mistakes, and decide today to rise up in faith and to just do what God has called you to do. Let's go right to this message. Luke 6, 46 through 49, he talks about the difference of a person who listens to the word and puts it into practice versus a person who's just hears the word and doesn't do anything about it. God is a God about action. He's about giving us something and us doing something with it. Uh, the boss went away for a long time and he had three workers and he said, you know what? I'm gonna give you some money, I'm gonna give you some money, and I'm gonna give you some money. One of them went away immediately. He says he went right off and he did something with it and he doubled it. Then the second one, he did something with it and he doubled it. The third one, the servant gave him 1,000 and said, Master, I know you have high standards and hate careless ways that you demand the best and make no allowances for error. I was afraid I might disappoint you. So I found, don't worry, I found a good hiding place and secured your money. Here it is, safe and sound to the last cent. Honestly, the saddest part to me about that is he had convinced himself that he was doing the right thing. I mean, I can just, I don't know how you read this part, but I read it like, okay, I did all the right things. I hit it. I didn't want to disappoint you. And so here's what you got. He said, the master was furious. That's a terrible way to live. It's criminal to live cautiously like that. If you knew I was after the best, why did you do less than the least? The least you could have done would have been to invest the sum with the bankers where at least I would have gotten a little interest. This last guy had so many things going on. One, he thought he knew his boss. Obviously, he didn't. And then he tried to blame his boss for doing nothing by saying, oh, you just have really high standards, so I didn't do anything. Then he was afraid of failure. He was afraid of coming in too short. Honestly, he kept making excuses. And his excuses caused him to cozy up with comfort. His excuses caused him to cozy up with complacent. If you are complacent, if you are stuck, I would highly encourage you to think about what excuses you keep making about doing the thing that you know that you need to do. Whatever it may be, I'm not gonna limit what it could be the smallest thing that God is asking you to do. 
It could be the biggest thing. It could be forgiveness. It could be giving something that you felt like you were supposed to give, but you haven't given it. It could be, like I said, forgiving somebody. You with, you've been withholding your forgiveness and you need to give that to them. What are the things? It could be a phone call to make something right. It could be you've been seeing something in your company that's not right and God's called you to step out and speak out and do something. The reality is that there are things that God has given us that he wants us to do something with. Time, abilities, desires. You know, he wants you to do something with those great desires that are birthed right here in church. He wants us to do something with those. And some specific things that he's asked you to do something with. If you hit it, if you're hiding it like this last guy in the story, tonight, dig it up. Dig up whatever you've been hiding, whatever thought has been lingering, whatever goal that you've been intimidated by, whatever thing that's been going on in your mind that you feel like you need to start doing. Confront the excuses and the reasons why you have been procrastinating with what God has spoken to you to do. To just do it, be your best encourager. Don't delegate the responsibility for people to keep you motivated. Don't delegate the responsibility to the church or your group leader or Paul or myself or Pastor Sharon or whoever. Don't delegate the responsibility to keep you motivated. Be your best encourager. When you feel like you've missed it as a mom, be your best encourager. When you feel like you've missed it at your work, be your best encourager. And just like you've talked yourself into feeling defeated, talk yourself out of feeling defeated by speaking the word of God. If you're gonna just do it, you gotta be your best encourager. Like I said, when I'm running, again, it is not an easy thing for me to do. I am encouraging myself the whole way. You can do it. Do not stop. You can do it. Do not stop. When I was 19 years old, I was sitting in a drug rehab center and I was so discouraged and so depressed and so sad and so addicted, so lost. I had no hope. And really felt like just giving up. I mean, at 19, I should be thinking about college. I'm thinking about career. Thinking about where am I going? What am I going to do with my life? No, I'm sitting in a drug program. Depressed and discouraged. Really felt like dying. I felt like I was done. I just had no hope. You know, when you're hopeless, you feel helpless. The Bible says when we've lost hope, we've lost vision, people are destroyed lives are destroyed. And that was where I was. Not long before that, I'd been praying. I, I didn't go to church, right? But everybody who's got problems prays. Like I went to jail four or five times. Every time I went to jail, I pray, right? I mean, we're, we, got, we got issues here. There's no atheists in jail. I'll promise you that. No atheists on the cancer ward. Everybody's praying. So a few months before that, I'd prayed and didn't know how to pray, but, you know, said like what many people would say, God, if you're real, if you could help me, if you could do something for me. Well, Paul said it yesterday or this morning, God was working behind the scenes. I didn't know. I had no idea. He was setting me up. 
my probation officer direct me into some counseling. That counselor connected me with this rehab center, and here I am now sitting in the hallway of this rehab program. Not long before that, it had only been open for about two months. So maybe six months or nine months before that, a man named Julius Young, who had grown up in Washington, D.C., became a heroin addict as a young man. At 14 years old, he was put into a detention center, a youth detention center, and the judge gave him four years in youth detention. And he said to the judge, give me 40 years. And the judge said, no, I'm going to give you four, but I think you'll be back. You'll probably get your 40. Well, he almost did. He spent 24 years in prison. His last years, he heard about the Lord, and somehow, miraculously, he was released, though he had been convicted as a habitual criminal. He didn't know what to do with his life, but he prayed, God, if you could use me, I'll help young men not end up where I am. So I'm praying, God, if you could help me, do something for me. And Julius is praying, God, if you could use me, I'll help young men. Well, he started this rehab. I didn't know anything about it. It was in the big city called Seattle. I lived out in the country, south of Seattle. My probation officer said, you either go to that program or you're going to prison. You know, program sounded better than prison to me. <laughs> so I'm sitting in the foyer in the hallway and Julius walked in. He was almost 60 when I met him. He was so different than me. He'd come from East Coast. I was West Coast. He was older. I was younger. He was black. I was white as white could be. <laughs> and Julius looked at me and he said, Big Red? <laughs> he was about that tall. He said, Big Red, you can change. I'd wanted to change. I'd tried to change. I'd tried to quit using drugs. I'd tried to quit drinking. I'd tried to change my life. I felt so stuck. I felt so powerless. I didn't think I could change. And somehow, he knew what to say. And he said, Big Red, you can change. That was the beginning. A week later, I was born again. Out of church, which is now our North Campus for Christian Faith Center. A year later, I was in Bible school where I met Wendy. Two years later, we were married, and four years, we're done with school, we started Christian Faith Center. So when people say, how do you become a pastor? I say, well, first you go to rehab, <laughs> and then you can be a pastor. <laughs> you know, some of you are in financial trouble tonight. Some of you are in a marriage that's no fun. Some of you are facing physical challenges, sickness, or disease. We all have issues. Most people don't know about our issues, but we all have issues. And tonight, I want to say to you, you can change. Your circumstances can change. Your life can change. Everything around you can change. Come on, if you believe that, give the Lord a hand clap right there. He says, son, son. Your sins are forgiven. Only a Savior can say that. Only a Savior can make that declaration. And in that moment, that man had to be thinking, Jesus, 
Hello? My legs? Why did I come to you? You don't even know what my problem is. Jesus saying, no, you don't know what your problem is. You think your legs are the big issue? But your legs are just the fruit of the issue. Sin is the root of the issue. And I cannot deal with the fruit of an issue until I first deal with the root of an issue. Because if I deal with the fruit and not the root, we will have a perpetual cycle of dysfunction going on. Sin is the root. Not to say, hear me before you think I'm postulating an erroneous theology of word explosion. Not to say that this man personally sinned to bring this paralysis, but more so to say the reason you are in this paralytic state is because of the decision that Adam and Eve made in the garden a long time ago when sin entered the world. So he says, before I deal with the disease in your body, I must first deal with the disease of your soul. Before I deal with the ailment of your body, I must first deal with the alienation of your heart because I am not just the God of your external circumstance. I am the God of your soul. This man, watch this, like many of us, didn't even realize that if Jesus didn't say anything but your sins are forgiven, and then walk out the room and leave him on the floor, how many know he still did a miracle? He still did a miracle. Because you're better off being paralyzed and forgiven than to be up walking in sin. Come on, somebody, but you ought to thank God he's able to do both. Come on, he don't want you paralyzed with a promise, and he don't want you walking in sin. He wants you walking worthy of the call that is on your life. Says your sins are forgiven to get to the root of the problem. And as soon as he says it, the Pharisees, the haters, who are pretentiously puffed up with pomposity and pride, the religious people. You know religious people always look like they smell something in the room. You know those, the religious face. You've seen this face. That. And as soon as Jesus says your sins are forgiven, they thought to themselves, they said, oh, he's blaspheming. He's blaspheming. Who but God alone can forgive sins? That's who he was. He was God. So much God, he responded not to their words, to their thoughts. After they thought it, he looked at him and said, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. He says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth. Who can we just pause right there and thank God that we serve a God that has all authority? Oh, come on, somebody. You can stop stressing about that situation you've been stressing about. Come on, your God has all authority. Come on, he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. He doesn't have an inferiority complex. He has all authority because heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. You serve a God with power and authority in his hand. He says, so you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He looks at the man and says, I tell you, get up. Somebody say, get up. Yeah. Come on, say it like you got some faith. Say, get up. Yeah. Come on, say it like you got some power. Say, get up. Yeah. Come on, say it like you're believing for a miracle. Say, get up. Yeah. I love that Jesus just told this man to get up. He didn't say, I need a prayer team to get around him with some Crisco oil. No, no, no. He said, not for this miracle. He didn't even say, I'm going to do a six-week series on how you might be able to get up. He said, no, not for this miracle. He said, for this miracle, I'm just giving you a word, and now you got to activate your faith and respond to the word that you heard. Somebody shout, get up. 
Somebody came all the way to the first night of word explosion just to get two words. Get up. There's a new place God wants to take you to. Get up. There's a new dimension of faith you can be walking in. Get up. Your calling is too high for you to live that low. Come on, somebody with faith, just shout, get up. Say it like you believe it. Say, get up. Get up from worry, get up from fear, get up from doubt, get up from unbelief, get up from sickness, get up from disease, get up from the pain of your past. Come on, somebody shout, get up. Come on, give God some praise tonight if you believe that he will bring you up. It's time to rise up. I don't know about you, but my faith has been stirred. Listening to these words that were spoken today, I felt like we just had word explosion all over again with these different messages. But here's the point today. Here's what God wants you to walk away with, that it's time for you to rise up. In fact, why don't you just stand up right now across the room, wherever you're at, even if you're watching this at home, just stand to your feet. And I want you to get that resolute determination in your heart that the Holy Spirit is gonna give you the power to rise up whatever you're walking through. Maybe you've been stuck in a rut, Maybe you've been stuck in discouragement. Maybe you've been holding back with fear or inadequacy. Maybe you've been stuck in habitual sins and feeling like you can't break free from a certain addiction. Today is your day to rise up. Maybe you just got a report from the doctor. Maybe you've heard some bad news from your spouse or from a family member and you feel uh, just condemned or you feel guilty or you feel hopeless. Today, I'm telling you right now, the presence of God is here. Whether you're watching this in our, our worship center or you're watching this at home, the presence of God is reaching through this screen and he's giving you hope. If you'll just receive it, the word of God is powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, but we have to receive it first. We have to believe that God's word is true. Today, I want you to receive this word by faith that it's time for you to rise up. Lord, I just pray for every person here right now that's watching this. God, I pray, Lord, for peace. I pray, Lord, for boldness. Lord, I pray for your encouragement just to lift their hearts out of fear, out of that sense of hopelessness and into that sense of hope. God, that you are with us, you're for us, you're in us. And Lord, I just pray right now that the words that have been spoken, the words on worship, the words on thankfulness, the words on being a bold witness, the words on opening our eyes to see what's happening right in front of us and, and the words on having that grit, that perseverance, God, that we wouldn't forget what was spoken today, that it wouldn't go just in one ear and out the other, but Lord, it would sink down in our hearts that we are children of God. I pray for every person here and, and the people that don't know you. Lord, I pray that today, God, their eyes would be open to know who you are, that you're a good God, you're a real God, and you have a purpose for their life. So Lord, I just pray right now, God, for each person today that needs to make a decision to rise up, whatever that decision is, they know it. It's between you and them. But Lord, I pray that they would have the boldness and God, that they would have the determination, the perseverance to rise up in Jesus' name, amen.